0: who is in charge of the church it's not a trick question jesus is the head of the universal church he is the head of every local church and he should be the head of every believer and as we continue our series through colossians titled jesus first i've titled today's sermon the boss the boss jesus will see is the head of the church he is the boss I invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 18 through 20 today. But what I want to do first is I want to read verses 13 through 20 to give us just a reminder of the immediate, the immediate context that this passage is found in. Uh, this has been said, it's been said of this passage, that this paragraph, verses 13 through 20, it's essentially a paragraph in the Greek, that is the densest paragraph in all of the new testament in regards to teaching doctrine about jesus and we've been only really moving through it two to three verses a week because i mean it is hard to move through there is just so much packed into every verse some of your bibles may have verses 15 through 20 indented kind of set apart like its own paragraph some scholars believe that when you look at verses 15 through 20 because they have poetic elements to them that that could have possibly been a hymn of the first century church, an ancient hymn where they were singing doctrine, essential doctrine about Jesus. So whether or not this was a hymn, I'm not entirely convinced about that. Uh, But we do know that it is God's Word. We do know that it is teaching us about Jesus. And Paul was addressing Uh, some sort of heresy that was beginning to creep into the church at Colossae. He's writing to the Corinthians in Colossae. It was a small town outside of Laodicea. And the way that he's combating this heresy that was trying to take root is by teaching them doctrine, by lifting up Jesus in their midst, saying this is who Jesus is, keep him first, keep this understanding, this teaching of him first, and you'll be all right. So as we continue in with our Jesus First sermon series, we're looking at the boss today. We're going to look at verses 13 through 20 to get context, then we'll focus on 18 through 20. So let's look at verse 13. He, that's the Father, has delivered us from the power of darkness. Thank goodness for that. And conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins so much just in those two verses. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. for by him all things were created. We were singing about that this this morning. By him all things were created there are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible where the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That's where we left off last week. So verse 18, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace, Through the blood of his cross. That's as far as we'll get this morning. So let's pick back up at verse 18. He is the head of the body. He's the head of the body. Really, if you look at verses 18 through 20 in the Greek, there's one main point that Paul makes. And then the rest of this passage is giving the reasons, are giving the reasons, uh, for the main point that he makes. Paul kind of flip-flops it on us. He gives the point, and then he gives all the reasons for the point. So the main point today that I want to express to you, that I want us to think about, that I hope we can allow God to press into our hearts all of the applications, the implications that come from this point, is this one main point. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, period. Jesus is the head of the church. Okay, now you say, well, so what? What does that mean to me? How does that apply to my life? Well... First of all, I encourage you to take that and ponder it this week and allow God to apply it to your life. That's not all just my job on Sunday morning. You should be thinking deeply and meditating deeply on the Word of God through the week. But we are going to get to what that means to us as individuals and what it means to us as a church for Christ to be the head of the church. What does it mean for him to be the head? First of all, I want to ask uh, two questions to kind of tease us out. For The first is, what does it mean for him to be the head? So if Christ is the head, what does it mean for him to be the head? What, what does that mean? That's imagery. How do I translate that into practical living? Well, first of all, he's the source. He is the source. What it means for him to be the head is he's the source. Katie and I were privileged to get to go to the Holy Land uh, back in January. We got back before all the COVID stuff had, had kicked off. We're so glad we had that opportunity to go. One of the places we went to was Caesarea Philippi. In Caesarea Philippi, there's this uh, Mount of Hermon that, that it's part of the uh, Hermon mountain range. There's this cleft that rises up basically 100 feet straight up. And in it uh, were carved places where the ancients would worship false gods. So there'd be a kind of a, a hole carved into the rock side there and there'd be idols placed and that's where they'd Worship, And there's a cave there, the cave of Pan, where they would throw offerings in as they worship the the god Pan. But what's so interesting about that in the midst of all of this heathen, idolatrous worship is where Jesus said, Who do you say I am? And Peter said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But also in the midst of all of that are the Hermon Springs. Or the Hermon Springs. And those springs, it's natural water that's coming up out of that rock... You know what that is? That is the headwater. It is the source of the Jordan River. And so here in the midst of all this idolatry, you have the beginnings of the Jordan River where John preached repentance, where Jesus was baptized. And if you follow the Jordan River, there are places where it gets pretty wide, where the water is running pretty rapidly. You wouldn't be able to cross it uh, unassisted. And you think about the Jordan River, how it winds through so much of that area of Palestine and how it provides life to so much of that area. And the Jordan River is really a substantial body of water in that part of the world. But if you did not have the springs of Hermon, you would not have the Jordan River. The church does not exist apart from the head who is Jesus Christ. There is no church apart from Jesus. There are places that are called churches that are more just about maybe promoting the arts or some type of activism or some type of social club or some type of religion where if you do certain things you feel better about yourself, at least better than other people. There are places that call themselves a church, but when you really look at it, they're not following the head. And if you're not tied to Christ, you're not a church. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the source from which the church comes. So first of all, what it means for him to be the head is he's the source. So we must ask ourselves, am I tied into the source? You know, Jesus has been attacked for thousands of years, but he still remains. He still stands, and he is the source of the church. But the second thing that it means is it speaks of his status. For Jesus to be the head of the church, it also speaks of his status. In other words, he's the boss. He directs the body. It's his body. And what this does is it goes against the pride of life. You see, if Jesus is boss, that means we're not. If he's the head, that means we're not. And I think if we're honest, we struggle with that at times more than we would want to admit. The apostle Peter did. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, in fact, Peter really struggled with this. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, you get a different picture of Peter. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls. Peter receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The crowd is charging uh, those early disciples that had received the Holy Spirit with being drunk. And Peter says, we're not drunk. This is that which was spoken of. And that right there, by the way, is the essence of preaching. To say, this is that. To take God's word and to say, this is what's happening. This is what God is doing. This is that. And Peter took the Old Testament and he said, this is what's happening. God has fulfilled what he promised. And Peter preaches this amazing sermon on the day of Pentecost. And literally thousands of people are saved. Thousands of people are baptized. What an exciting day that would have been, right? And the church just comes to life in this amazing moment. And and here they are with all these new converts. And it says that they were meeting in homes and from place to place. And they're breaking bread. and, And the church is born. And it's all wrapped up in Jesus. And Peter was a part of that. Don't miss this. Peter preached that sermon on the day of Pentecost where the church just sprang to life. That's Acts 2. Now Acts 10, Peter's trying to tell God what to do. In Acts chapter 10, God tells him in a vision, hey, I want you to go preach to this Gentile named Cornelius. And Peter says, no, I have not stepped foot in an unclean person's house. You know what's ironic about that? It says that Peter at that time was dwelling with Simon the Tanner. What does a Tanner do? He works with dead animals. If you look at the law, if you come in contact with a dead animal, you're unclean. So Peter, in the pride of life, is telling God, I can't go talk to that unclean person over there. I need to stay in my uncleanness here. And that is the heart of religion. The heart of religion says, my uncleanliness, it's okay, but I don't want to be a part of that uncleanliness. And God had to take Peter, who had preached that amazing sermon, and say, Peter, you are not following me. Peter was rebuked in a vision from God saying, you better not call unclean what I have called clean. Now you get up and you go to where I tell you to go and you preach to who I tell you to preach to. And Peter came out of that vision and said, yes, sir, you are the boss. Now, if Peter can go from Acts 2 to Acts 10, don't you think we could? Don't you think that we should at least be aware that we might not be following the head, that we might have slipped into religion, that we might be trying to tell Jesus how he needs to be worshipped rather than asking Jesus how he wants to be worshipped? I think we could. We should at at least ask ourselves that. If that could happen to the Apostle Peter, that could happen to us. And it's no respecter of person. It's no respecter of age. It's not about an age group. It's not about a demographic. It's not about different preferences because I think we all can struggle with trying to tell Jesus how his church needs to look. But what we need to do is say, Jesus, you are the head. You see, we need to reflect on this. If you're the head, you tell us What your church looks like. COVID has been a great example of this. We have to step back and go. Okay God. What are you wanting of us? What are you calling us maybe to do differently? I think personally small groups. Are going to have more and more of an instrumental role. In the life of the church. and connecting people and relationships. Through small groups. Some of the things we may even need to think about. Moving forward uh, as a church. I'm just throwing this out there to pray about is maybe we need to change up even how we do Sunday nights. Maybe we don't do a traditional Sunday night service, but we take the effort that goes into that and put it into something else. There's nothing in the Bible that says, thou shalt have service on Sunday nights. It's just not. So maybe we need to ask God, head, what are you doing? And realizing we have a limited amount of time and energy in each day, what do you want us to be putting that energy into to serve you? What does that look like? I'm just telling you, I don't know. But God's got my attention saying, Paul Michael, I'm the head. You need to listen to what I'm wanting to do in my body. And I'm asking you as a church, as people who are seeking to follow Jesus, to be willing to say, I don't want to be like Peter in Acts 10. I don't want to be caught telling the head what to do because of my preferences. Lord Jesus, you're the head. You show me what it looks like to follow you. So he is the source of the church, and it speaks to his status in the church. He is the boss. We must seek to follow him. But as Jesus Christ is the head of the church, we talked about what it means for him to be the head. But why is he the head? And that's really what the rest of these verses talk about. Paul kind of flip-flops it on us. He gives us his point, point, then he gives us his reasoning behind it in these verses. So why is Jesus the head? Out of all the people, uh, out of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, out of anybody that you could have picked, why is Jesus the head of the church? Well, that's the rest of our passage today. So let's look at beginning again at verse 18. Let's pick back up there. He is the head of the body, the church. That's the main point. Now why? Why is Jesus the head of the church? Well, because he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. He is the first one to rise from the dead, never to die again. He has the power of an indestructible life, and any life that we have is because he lives. If Christ ceases to be, then we no longer have everlasting life. And so he is first place, he is the head, because any life that we have, any life that we have together as a church is wrapped up in him. It's tied up in him. It is inseparably linked to Jesus Christ. In fact, what Paul does to make this clear is he uses a word here in verse 18 that is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. The word that we translate as preeminence. Some of your Bibles, I think the NIV translated it as supremacy. It has to do with first place. Paul is trying to help us to understand the exalted position of Christ. That Christ is the head, that Christ is the boss. And so what he does is words are failing him to describe just how exalted Christ should be in the life of the church. So he reaches over to Koine Greek, grabbing a word that's used nowhere else in the New Testament just to try to help us to understand the exalted nature of Jesus Christ. That Christ is the head. He is exalted over all. He is first place. And the first reason is, why is he the head? Because he is risen from the dead. Why is Jesus the head? Because he's risen from the dead. Now listen, That should get you fired up. You are serving a Lord and a Savior who has defeated death, hell, and the grave. That's your boss. He has defeated all of your enemies. And the book of Ephesians says that the power which raised Christ Jesus from the grave is at work in you who believe. So here's what you get to do, believer. Here's how it applies to you, Christian. If Christ is the head, he is the head. Why? He is the head because he's risen from the grave. He has defeated death, hell, and the grave. So you get to, as a believer, say, my boss, my head, the main man that is in charge, The one that I follow has defeated death, hell, and the grave. So as I follow him, there is no enemy that can prevail against me. As I follow Jesus, I am not only walking in the victory that he has already accomplished, but the power of that victory, my God tells me in his word, is at work in me. It doesn't apply much more than that, does it? That the power that raised Jesus from the grave is at work in us? See, there's the hope. There's the hope to the parents of the wayward child. There's the hope to the marriage that is struggling. There's the hope to the heart that is grieving who has lost a spouse. There is the hope when the medical diagnosis isn't what you want it to be. The hope is that the power of God that raised my Savior from the dead is at work in me. Jesus is the boss and what he is leading me into as my boss is victory there's no other option he only knows how to lead into victory and it's already been won it's already been accomplished he's done it it's sure i can count on it but the second thing that we see is in verse 19 why is jesus the head it says it pleased the father that in him all the fullness should dwell what a great verse Would it please you to give your son for someone else? That's a tough question, isn't it? You know, we're coming up next weekend, 4th of July, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, those that uh, died for freedoms we enjoy. But the Bible says, don't miss this, it pleased the Father. I have a hard time understanding that. It was God's good pleasure. It was my father. I can trust a father like that. I can trust a father that loves me so much he gave his very best that I might be forgiven of my sins, draw near to him that I might know him. That's a father I can trust. It pleased the father that in him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. Now, don't be mistaken to think that. The fullness of God came to dwell in Jesus. No, Jesus has always been God. He will always be God. What it's saying is that the God that shook the mountains, the God that told Moses, son, you can't handle my glory, he was pleased, all that he is as God, was pleased to be wrapped in flesh and to be veiled to an extent That God in his fullness could walk among us and we were not consumed by his presence. It pleased the Father to do that. That when you see Jesus, you see God. Jesus told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus did not become God. He's always been God. And in the grace of God, the glory of God was veiled that it might not consume us in his wrath, but that the mercy of God might overtake us as the blood of God was shed on a cross that was made by a tree from the hand of God that the people of God might be saved. It's all about what he's done. And it was according to his good pleasure. That's amazing. That brings us to our second reason why Jesus is the head of the church. It's because he's God. (laughs) In other words, there's no more better qualified person than Jesus. You're never going to find anybody with a better resume. Eternal God. Okay. That's it. You know, you hear a lot of times people don't get jobs because they're overqualified for things. Or some of you have been frustrated because you've been applying for jobs and you don't have what? The experience needed. How frustrating is that? Jesus, Jesus is the head of the church. He is fully God. He meets every criteria that could ever be met. He exceeds every criteria that we could ever need. He is eternal God. And by right of his divine nature as God the church is his therefore when God speaks the church follows but see that implies that we're listening that implies that we're willing to get outside of ourselves that implies that we're willing to not be like the apostle Peter we see in Acts chapter 10. So he is the head because he's risen from the dead. He is the head because he is God. But thirdly, look at verse 20. This is our final verse for today. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. Now this is not teaching universalism that everybody will be saved. You still have to receive salvation by faith. To reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of God of his cross. What a powerful verse. I could have just jumped right to that. We could have spent our whole time this morning just on that, so I'll be brief, though. He has reconciled all things to himself, whether the things on earth the things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Mankind doesn't just need a better teacher to help us learn how to be better. Are there times where education helps? yes. But better education does not solve the problem of sin, and sin is the problem in this world. Mankind doesn't just need a better example, a better man to follow, a leader that won't let us down. It's not that we just need that little bit better example than we've had in the past, because we still will fail to live up to it, because a better example won't solve the problem of sin. What do we need? We need a savior to die and shed his blood. That through the blood of his cross, we might be reconciled to God and that we might have peace with our God. You see, we need a savior. And that's what God has provided in Jesus Christ. And that's the third reason why he's head of the church. The third reason is because of his cross. No one else has purchased you with his blood. You have been redeemed by the blood of God. And you're not going to like this next statement. It is his right to tell you what to do. And if you don't like that, that's the pride of life. Jesus has the right, let me tell you that again, to tell you what to do. Amen. Now, we've talked about this before. Understanding Jesus, understanding who he is, understanding that he is God, understanding that he is good, understanding that he is for us, not against us, understanding that he has already won the victory on our behalf, understanding that he is at work bringing all things together for the good of those who love him, understanding all that we know about Jesus. Why would we not want to do what he tells us to do? In fact, understanding the goodness of God, it is foolishness to rebel against God. Sin is insanity. It is looking at a God who loves us and saying, no, my way is better and rebelling against the one who has given himself in our place. See, when we understand the insanity of sin, we rejoice in obedience to Jesus. It doesn't grate against the pride of life. We go, thank you, Jesus, that you have set me free from the yoke of sin so that I can absolutely obey you today. We we sung about that, that oh happy day. I, I was lost in my sin, but you've called me out of that. Have you ever thought about obedience that way? Have you ever thought about obedience to Jesus as, wow, now that I've been redeemed by the blood of the son of his love, I actually can obey God. I actually can please God. I actually can walk with him at peace. Wow! That's a lot different than going, I'm not going to do it. Mm-mm. So Peter did, mm-mm. I may be in this house with all these dead animals, but I'm not going to that Gentile's house. Mm-mm. I said, no, Lord Jesus, what you do is good, who you are is good, and it is for my good to obey you. So again, the main point today was this. Jesus is the head of the church. I encourage you, I admonish you, I challenge you to not leave that here, but to take that with you this week and say, Lord Jesus, you are the boss. You show me what that means in my life and to our church this day and in the days to come. Will you join me in that? But also understanding that there is no church apart from Christ. Whatever we do must be tied to him. And it must exalt him. He is the source and it speaks of his status that we must be tied to Christ and we must be exalting Christ. And why is he the head? Because he's risen from the dead and you have that power at work in you. Therefore you have hope today. He is God. There is no one better qualified for us to follow. There is no one better qualified to direct his church. And lastly, because of his cross, he loves you. He loves you. He's given Himself for you. And if you are a child of God, you are dearly loved. And what God requires of you, what God commands of you, the obedience that God expects of you, listen, is out of love. It's for your good. It's that you might know His blessings on your life. And what is the greater blessing than knowing His presence? More and more, pressing deeper and deeper into Him. As we get ready to close our service this morning, I'm going to ask if Aaron could come and just uh, play quietly in the background. And I want to ask us to uh, close our service with a a time of prayer. I'm going to pray for two things. I want to give you an invitation uh, to pray with me about something. And then I want to pray for those that are going to camp. But here's what I want to ask you, church. Church, I want to ask you to just say, Lord Jesus, help us to know really what it means for you to be the head of First Baptist Church, Liberty City. What does that really look like? Help us to throw off the ways that we're telling you to do things and let us be open to receiving from you what you want. Can we pray that together? I'm going to ask if we could just bow our head and close our eyes just as a way of focusing. There's nothing extra special or spiritual about bowing your head and closing your eyes in this moment but just as a way to focus and can we say together Lord Jesus you are the head have your way in my life in my family in my church forgive me for being short sighted help me to be open to what you're doing now to be obedient to you now to bear the fruit you want now If there are any of you here that have never put your faith in Christ as we continue to pray, I want to encourage you. That's where your journey needs to begin, to tell God what you believe in your heart. Do you believe that Jesus is the Savior that God has provided? If so, the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's your morning. It's your time to call out to him to say, Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Savior the Father provided. I confess my sin, my rebellion. I need you. I need to be saved. Thank you that you've died in my place. You've died for my sin. Thank you that you've risen from the grave. I believe in you. By faith, Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Make me a child of God. Do all that your word promises you'll do. Save me now, Lord Jesus. Help me to obey you, to live for you from this day forward. If any of you here have prayed that prayer, I invite you to reach out to me this week and let me follow up with you and talk to you more about what it means to be a believer. But lastly, let's pray for our children's camp. as we get ready to close out the service. Children's camp is every year an opportunity for children to put their faith in Jesus Christ. There are camps, there are Vacation Bible School, there are D-Now year after year we see fruit so lord jesus we commit this children's camp to you i thank you for suzanne and the workers that have put the time into preparing for this lord we pray for a great harvest not only in our church but others that will attend protect them and keep them lord watch over them guard their health bring them back safely but most of all speak to those young hearts move in our workers lives so many times Lord, I've seen when you're serving and you're working and even as you're going as a leader, Lord, sometimes, God, you just get a hold of us even as we serve and you change us even as we're there to lead. So bless the workers and the leaders and these kids and draw them to yourself. Protect them and bring them back. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. You are the head. We can take confidence knowing you're in control. We can take heart knowing that you're in control. We can even be at peace knowing that you are in control. And so as we leave here today, we leave rejoicing in Jesus Christ, who is the head of His church. That's in Jesus' name we pray.